Good evening. The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 1, which can be found on page 1046 of the Church Bible, if you have one in front of you. Luke 13, verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Evening, everybody. It's uh, lovely to see you all uh, tonight. Uh, I'm sure uh, many of us were aware that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attack, a time when we remembered uh, seeing those two planes crash into the towers, uh, the third going towards the Pentagon and the the fourth one, which was hijacked and taken control of again before crashing into the field. It's a time we remember that, uh, that life can just be snuffed out. But at the same time, Uh, There's part of me that thinks, well, (laughs) it happened in New York, and 20 years ago at that. So it's sort of just over there, that that sort of stuff just doesn't really happen. A couple of years ago, when I was living in London, um, I was doing a camp day in London. I lived in the Zone 6, Cockfotter's Way. Some people say it's not really London, but it's on the tube, so yes, it is. Um, But... And I was going into central London toward Bank to do a camp on the Saturday. And Morag and the kids were away, so I had the, the afternoon off or the, so the weekend on my own. So I thought, I'll do something I've never done before. I'll walk from Bank to Oxford Circus. So I went there, got the keys uh, for the, the church we were staying, using the next day. And I thought, okay, let's, let's go for a walk. And I started walking from Bank to, to Oxford Circus. And the first thing I noticed is there are a lot of pret a in London. Um, but it was interesting. I was walking along and just seeing all the architecture, seeing lots of prets and, and going. And I was getting quite close to Oxford Circus. It was about uh, six o'clock at night at this point. And then six police cars just bombed past me. It's London, but that's still a bit weird. And then about a minute later, there were two, three, four hundred people screaming, running towards me. They were dropping their bags of shopping and just flooding in the opposite direction. 
And I was like, what is, what is happening? I, I have no idea. And so I, I did the natural thing. I turned and I sort of, sort of run jogging away, away and just try to get my phone out. What's happening? Look at Twitter. Nothing there. Look at the news. Nothing there. I had no idea what was happening. Uh, I text Morag saying, I had no idea what's happening, but I'm fine. I managed to get round a corner and uh, get on a tube and get back home. I don't know if you remember that day. In the end, actually, it was nothing. It was a fight on the Oxford Circus that kind of got over a thing, and it caused this mass hysteria. People thought it was a terrorist attack. It wasn't a terrorist attack, but it could have been. Or maybe you've been on the motorway going up the 23, and you notice on the other side there is no cars on the other side of the road. You're like, mm, that's a bit weird. And then you hit the point where there's the accident and the tail backs of cars. And you think, well, it's at least on that side of the road. But it might be on your side of the road. In fact, it, it might have been you in the car. Maybe you'd have been on the A27 by Shoreham those years ago. We don't know when our time will come. Life can change in an instant. And the question tonight is, are we ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you your word is kind and good. Thank you that your word is there not to scare us or not to... uh, but rather to drive us to you. And we pray this evening that would be the case, that you would drive us to you, that we would be looking to you, turning our eyes to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago, if you were here and you joined us, uh, we were looking at the, the last section in, in Luke chapter 12, and Alex was uh, really helpfully unpacking for us uh, that theme of being ready. And the big message was, be ready because Jesus might return at any point. Be ready, because Jesus, it, it, it might come back. Well, here, the warning is not so much be ready because Jesus is going to come back, but more be ready because you don't know when he's going to call you. And so we get this little couple of incidences in chapter 13. And we don't really know what they're talking about here in verse 1. We don't know exactly when it happened or why it happened, but it, but it's pretty horrific. There were these Galileans who were offering sacrifices, probably around the Passover, it's the time they would do that, offering sacrifices. And as they were doing that, they were, they were slaughtered and cut down. So that the blood of the sacrifices and their own blood was being mingled together. It would have been seen as a pretty horrific thing to have happened. And so they asked Jesus about it. Now, maybe they were asking Jesus about that because of what he just said. Maybe they were saying, Lord, is this a sign? Should we be looking out for something? That might be the reason for asking. But but I think uh, more likely they were trying to say, now, what, what did those people do that deserved that? And the sub question really is. How can we avoid it? Because they must have done something really bad for that to happen. So I want to be ready. Do not do that so that I can be ready. 
And then Jesus says, verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he says, no, I tell you, no. No, no, no. The reason this happened to them, it was not because they were worse. That's not the case at all. No, they are no different at all. You and they are the same. They all suffer from the same problem. From the same disease. Sin. The sin that entangles and ensnares us all. At the 39 articles, the, the doctrine of the Church of England says this. Sin is to be seen in the fault and corruption which is found in the nature of every person who naturally descended from Adam. The consequence of this is that man is far gone from his original state of righteousness. In his own nature, he is predisposed to evil. The sinful nature in man always desires to behave in a manner contrary to the spirit. In every person born into this world, there is found this predisposition, which rightly deserves God's anger and condemnation. This infection within man's nature persists, even with those who are regenerate. Or more modern uh, sort of catechism, that the New City Catechism, which Stephen uh, was speaking about to us in the morning service a couple of weeks ago, uh, says this, um, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Or to put it in the language of the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Jesus says, look, these people did not die because of their sin. You are not living because you are free from sin. And he carries on, verse 4, all those 18 who died from the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Did you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, No. No, no, they're not more guilty. So here's the big question Jesus is landing on. He says, are you ready? Are you ready? Verse three. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Verse five. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Uh, the big question in this, parish, parish, uh, uh, this passage is not so much what did they do, but really what are we going to do? Because our problem is our sin. And if we don't sort that out, then we're in big trouble. Big trouble. Because death may come at any moment. We're not promised tomorrow. It may well be that, just as my little stories, you can think of your own stories when that came near. Maybe even the pandemic. We don't know when. 
So are we ready? But what does it mean to, to be ready? Well, it means to repent. Now, what does that word repent mean? Well, if we said that, that sin is sort of uh, turning our back on God and saying, no, no, I don't care about you. I'm going to ignore you and live my own way. I'm going to forget that you're king and I'm going to do whatever I want. Then repenting is turning around. Uh, not simply turning away from those things, but proactively turning to God. Looking to him. Looking to his kingdom. Looking to, to love him and to serve him and to follow him. And this word repent has a, a, a sort of a, a couple of sort of meanings in it, 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 it. In the tenses that are used, it kind of has this once for all feel to it. But also a day after day. It's there to say, look, there needs to be a point where you decisively turn from sin to Jesus. For me, that's when I was at a a Cypher Venture camp when I was 14. I'd grown up knowing about Jesus, maybe like some of you. I'd heard the stories, I knew about him, and it was fantastic. But it wasn't until I was about 14 when I decided, no, I've got to turn. uh, Turn away from my might try and live for myself, however good that may have seen, and instead look to Christ and live for Christ to say, sorry, recognize that I have sinned and done wrong in your sight and turn to Christ. That decisive moment. Maybe that's a moment you can remember. A day when you decisively turn to Christ. But at the same time, we also have to day after day come to Christ, a a continuing act. One of the reasons that we say the confession here week by week. Now, we say the word confession, not because we we think that because we say these magic words, God will forgive us. No, we've already been forgiven, but we say them to acknowledge, acknowledge the debt that we owe, to acknowledge the love of the saviour, to acknowledge That Christ loved us and gave himself up to us. We say the words of confession corporately and maybe individually to remember that we need Christ every day. And there will not be a day that I still do not need his loving grace and kindness. Are you ready? But then just to help us with this, Jesus then moves into this little parable in verses six to nine. And really, this little parable is there to show us this question of, are you ready? It has a countdown. It has a countdown. It's a simple old story, isn't it? Uh, Verses six and seven. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Uh, Cut it down. Uh, Why should it use up the soil? There's a fig tree that's been growing for three years. And every year there's been no fruit. Three years is not an insubstantial amount of time, is it? 
And actually, in growing terms, I'm no real grower. But, but if you don't get fruit in those three years, you're, you're unlikely to get it in the following years. And so because of that, the owner says, look, just cut it down. The sword is going to come to cut the tree down. It's not showing fruit. There's a countdown timer. But even then, did you notice the patience? Verse 8 and 9. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for, for one more year. I'll dig round it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Here's the point. God is patient. He's not acting at a whim. He's patient. He's slow to anger and rich in love. He is willing, longing for people to come to him. We are living in his house, in his world, and he would, has been nothing but generous and kind to us and longs for us to, to turn to him. But there is a countdown clock. Uh, don't mistake God's patience with unending tolerance. There will be a day. There will be a point. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is patient because he wants all to repent. He wants all to come to him. But there will be a day when it will be too late, when the countdown clock will come to a close. There will be a day when he'll come to find fruit. And will he? So don't delay. Don't delay. Come to him. Because unless you repent, then you too will perish. And as we consider these words, we we remember they come from the kindest man that ever lived. The, The one who said, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. The one who laid down his life, as we're going to remember later. But he says, repent or you too will perish. And as we think about those words, the the first one must be to ourselves saying, have we done that? Have we said sorry? Have we recognized our sin and asked God to forgive us? Not because we deserve it, but because he is great in love. But also, have we uh, that longing to, to say, actually, Lord, today I want to, to, to keep turning from sin. Today I want to follow after you. I don't want to leave it to tomorrow. I want to keep going today to drive forward in, in living for you. And today I want to have that passion to tell others through word and deed, through every means possible. Because all who have not called upon the name of the Lord will not be saved. If we have not repented, we will perish. And by perishing, we mean facing God's anger and judgment. 
uh, next year, uh, we, we've got a, a special series of events at Easter time called A Passion for Life, and you might have uh, heard it. Uh, a time when we're going to focus together in, in, in being, as a church, going, seeking to, to help others to hear about him. There'll be all sorts of different things happening, uh, small and big. But let's not just wait until then. Uh, yes, let's pray and look ahead, but actually, we might not get there. We might, body corporate might not get there, the Lord may return, or, or we as individuals may not get there. Let's not delay. Let's come to him today. Before it's too late. Are you ready? Are those that you love ready? Are those who live simply in this world ready? We all have accidents, don't we? Sometimes um, our accidents mean that we break a window or break a leg or you bump into a car at Tesco and you've got to fork out some money to have somebody else's car fixed. Millie and Toby Savile were um, a newly married couple on holiday in the Greek islands. Uh, they were a, a young couple, both teachers. Uh, they were out for a drive and they, uh, they made a mistake. They were trying to turn around on the road, but sadly their mistake meant that their little buggy they were driving fell off the side of a cliff. They both died. Just a mistake. But Millie and Toby were Christians. The church they went to in London released this uh, little statement on Twitter. We're sad to share the news that Toby and Millie Savile, two members of, our, of Hope Church and Vauxhall Community, died in a road accident while on holiday in Greece on Sunday. We know many in Vauxhall have known them. Toby and Millie had an infectious joy that was so obvious to all who met them. This has been the hardest time for us as a church family. We are utterly broken, and yet we are comforted by the hope we have in Jesus, a hope that completely shaped Toby and Millie's lives. This hope is Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead so that all those who believe in him will have life after death. This is why we are called Hope Church. Our church family now looks different, but our hope has not changed. Toby and Millie had the hope in Jesus. They had turned to him. They were ready. Are you? Let us take a moment just now on our own, just to ask ourselves that question. Are we ready? What is it we want to pray to our Lord? How are we going to respond? So let's take a moment just to pray or ponder silently.